Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Wednesday, October 11th, 2023. Scott Ritter joins us now. Scott, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming back uh, on the show. What is, what is going on uh, in Israel and Gaza, as you understand it, as we speak? Well, what's going on is a continuation of a cycle of violence that's been in play for decades now. Um I mean, anybody who woke up Saturday and said, oh, my God, there's violence going on in uh, in Israel. Um, you know, where have you been? Um, this in this occasion, the violence started on that day with uh, Hamas, a terrorist organization. There's no uh, if, ands or buts about that. They're not freedom fighters. They're not uh, they're not there uh, in defense of the uh, Palestinian people. Hamas is a terrorist organization, pure and simple. Their charter, chapter 12 of it. Uh, says that their mission is to destroy the state of Israel. And as critical as I am of Israel, and I think you're going to hear me be extraordinarily critical of Israel, um, under no circumstances uh, is the concept of destruction of the state of Israel. And the it, you, you can't have an organization that believes it's okay to kill civilians, to slaughter civilians. I mean, if you wear a uniform, I'm sorry, you made a decision. Uh, you're in the you're in the big game, and sometimes you pay the big price. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. You made that choice. So, as much as my heart bleeds for the families of those Israeli soldiers who lost their lives, um, that's war. But if you're um, a mom and your child, or husband, or boyfriend hiding in a safe room, um, getting the door kicked down, getting machine gunned, no, that's murder. So that's what happened on Saturday. But, but if you think that was the first time. Murder took place in the Middle East. You're wrong. And if you think that it's only Hamas that commits murder, you're wrong. I'm not trying to justify this is not whataboutism, but Israel's been in the business of murdering Palestinians for decades. And we're always silent about it. We don't talk about it. But now that Hamas has came out and committed this atrocious crime, and it is an atrocious crime, Everybody's screaming at the top of the lungs. No, what's going on right now is a cycle of violence. And sadly, all Israel is doing in their in their response is continuing that cycle. Uh, you can't, uh, I'll just leave it at this. When your minister of defense gets on national TV, calls the Palestinians animals and says they need to be wiped out, that's a war crime. And if you sit there and say, I stand with Israel, and you don't stand up at that point and say, no, you don't get to say that. 
retract that. That's a war crime. I demand the American government take action on this, and you stand for nothing. The Israeli government has responded to Hamas's crimes by ordering war crimes, by ordering the deliberate assault, attack, destruction, and murder of civilian infrastructure and civilian human beings. How can that possibly be justified from a moral, legal, or even military perspective, Scott? It can't. There's no justification whatsoever. Look, I come from the Marine Corps, and uh, I'm very loyal to the Marine Corps. But in Iraq, in Haditha, when uh, the Marines murdered 26 Iraqi civilians, that's a war crime. And you can't spin it any other way. It doesn't matter how much you love the Marine Corps, how much you respect the Marine Corps. You can't explain that away. And the same way, we can't sit there and explain away what Israel is doing right now. Understand that Israel knows that Hamas is underground. I'll say that one more time. Israel knows that Hamas is underground. So every bomb that lands on top of the ground in Gaza is killing innocent Palestinian civilians, not Hamas leadership, not Hamas infrastructure, not Hamas fighters. And yet they're doing it anyways. This is a deliberate targeting of an innocent civilian population. It's called collective punishment, and that's a war crime. Well, we know collective punishment is a war crime. It was expressly condemned by Nuremberg. It was expressly condemned by the Geneva Conventions. It was a tactic uh, of uh, of Nazi Germany. One person committed a crime. They'll just start killing others until they figure out who who the one uh, who the one was. But from a military perspective, uh, what do the Israeli uh, generals uh, hope to achieve by the intentional uh, killing of civilians when the Hamas killers, whom they're really after, are not being uh, effectively impaired by their military by the Israeli military uh, behavior? Well, what's happening right now is the Israeli military is behaving uh, with emotion, and that's very dangerous. You're supposed to be cold-hearted professionals. You're supposed to get beyond the emotion. I know it's difficult. Look, many senior Israeli officers were at home. They were kidnapped or killed. Their families were killed. Um, These guys take it personally. Their friends are dead on the battlefield. The families of their friends have been slaughtered. Uh, This is a extraordinarily personal thing. But as a professional, when you put on that uniform, you have to behave as a professional. And right now, the Israeli military is, is behaving with emotion. And uh, this is this is a very dangerous thing because it uh, it colors your judgment. Uh, Israel is supposed to be a nation that has educated its officers. And I know this for a fact. I, I know many Israeli officers and I know that they've received training similar to the training I received that uh, is intolerant of war crimes. And yet we've seen over and over and over again where Israel um commits war crimes, and the people committing these war crimes are the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, despite their training. And the reason why is they, they get emotional. They go out on patrol in the West Bank. Ten-year-old kids throw rocks at them. They capture the kids, and they snap their arms. They snap their legs. If it gets too close, a sniper shoots them in the belly and then laughs as ambulance drivers drive up, and then they shoot the ambulance drivers because they allowed emotions to take over. No, you're supposed to be a professional. When when troops are ordered to engage in behavior that is patently uh, unlawful and is a war crime, like the intentional attack on civilians, who has committed the war crimes? 
Is it the troops on the ground? Uh, is it the person who presses the, the button or throws the switch on the artillery that's aimed at a university or a hospital? Or is it is it the general that orders this? Or is it Benjamin Netanyahu on the civilian command? Uh, everybody up the chain of command. I mean, you know, the bottom line is you're not allowed to obey an unlawful order. Now, if we're getting into issues of constitutionality, Judge, with all due respect, the, the private on the ground, he's not a constitutional scholar. And right. if he's been ordered to do something that is patently illegal, for instance, to cross into Iraq, he can't say, I refuse to invade Iraq because that's a violation of international law. That's not his job, nor is the job of the lieutenant or the captain or the major or the colonel. International law is within you know, the president, his cabinet, and people who are empowered to make those decisions. But if you're a pilot in the Israeli Air Force and you've received a, a mission that requires you to drop a bomb on a university and it's identified as a university, you have a moral responsibility to ask, you know, is this proportional to the threat? What is the threat? Why am I doing this? Uh, what is the potential of collateral damage? And these, all of these questions should have been answered already by the targeting cell, and they should have the answers there. And if they don't have the answers, then the pilot has a moral obligation to say, I can't fly that mission until these questions are answered. And then we take it up the chain of command, and the bottom line is that they all insist to go in without adequate answers, then everybody is guilty. From the prime minister that ordered the action the, the Minister of Defense that uh, turned that order into uh, you know, reality all the way down to the pilot. They have all committed a war crime. They are all culpable for the crime. They should all be held accountable for the crime. Gary, uh, can you put up the uh, images of the um, Gaza University. I think Scott and I can talk over it if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Here we go. So this was um, Gaza University. Four days ago, you can see what it looks like. You're going to see a very compelling uh, view from the from a drone uh, in in a couple of minutes. So your argument is that not only the civilian command, but the guy who dropped the bomb that did this, or the bombs that did this, or who pulled the trigger or threw the switch that sent the missiles that did this, ought to have known what he was doing. There's a view of what was a university in Gaza as recently as last Saturday. Actually, that photo you just showed is even worse, Judge. It's a, it's a mosque. Wow. It's a mosque. It's a, religious, it's a religious site, which is a protected site. And again, they knew it was a mosque when they bombed it. And in order to justify bombing it, you need hard intelligence that there's an imminent threat uh, coming from that mosque that justifies this. Otherwise, you can't strike that. That's a protected target. And and even if even if Hamas was hiding in there, that's not an imminent threat that justifies the destruction of a religious house. It comes down to proportionality. If three Hamas fighters who are wounded run into that mosque to seek shelter, uh, and it's full of fifty worshippers, no, you don't get to bomb that mosque. If the commander of Hamas is holding a secret meeting in the basement of of or the commander of Hamas is in the basement holding a secret meeting and this is a once in a lifetime chance to eliminate that leadership target then you get to do it like i said everything has a uh, you, you have to push through it yeah what is your view on uh, on how this how this happened how not the the politics or the history that got us there but the intelligence failures of Mossad with its vaunted reputation of MI6 
of CIA. Uh, how could the three best intelligence uh, services on the planet have missed this? Well, first of all, the CIA has for some time now, when it comes to issues of Israel and Israeli security, uh, they um, basically give a nod to Israel. So if Israel says this is a threat, uh, there's some exceptions. For instance, the Iranian nuclear problem, um, the CIA uh, has said, no, we have our own independent assessment on that. But when it comes to Hamas or Hezbollah or anything dealing with the potential of terrorist attacks on Israeli soil, the CIA, um, if if there's any question, they will yield to Israel and say, we we will, we will follow your assessment. Um, that's the same mistake we made back in 1973, by the way, uh, on the Yom Kippur War, uh, when Israeli intelligence failed again. At that time, the CIA admitted in an after-action report that they stopped doing critical assessments of Israeli-related intelligence because they simply took the Israeli assessments at face value and didn't want to challenge them. And I believe that's the model that was going on today. For Israel, again, it, it's the 1973 model. One of the things that came out of 73 is the following. Israel's collectors were collecting all the data necessary to show that Egypt was getting ready to attack across the canal. They wrote assessment saying this is when they're going to do it, where they're going to do it, how they're going to do it. That was sent up the chain of command. The king of Jordan was warning Golda Meir, the prime minister, that Egypt and Syria were getting ready to do something big. But Israel was infected what they call the conception. And the conception at that time was that Egypt would never engage in this because it wasn't in Egypt's best interest to do this. Therefore, we dismiss all of the intelligence. Today, we come forward. It's, this isn't that the Israelis didn't collect information. They have very good collectors out there. They collected a lot of data, and that data was pointing to something was going to happen. They also had Egypt apparently providing a tip-off saying something big is going to happen. But once again, Israel was infected with conception. And the conception this time was that Hamas was moving away from being a terrorist organization dedicated to the destruction of Israel and instead becoming an organization dedicated to the governance of Gaza. Israel was taking off some of the, the pressure. They had allowed thousands of Palestinians to leave Gaza and get jobs in Israel to bring in income. The standard of living was going up. Hope was rising up, at least from the Israeli perspective. And the Israelis said it's not in Hamas's interest to carry out an attack like this. All this information that we're collecting that an attack is imminent is propaganda on the part of Hamas to tell everybody, look, we're big and tough. But the reality is Hamas has given up being tough. They want to become a responsible a governing body. And so the conception overrode all of the actual intelligence data. And then the last thing about the Israelis is this time around, they collect so much data on Gaza that they put into a supercomputer and they allow artificial intelligence to come up with various algorithms that do threat modeling. And so they allowed themselves to be held prisoner to a damn computer instead of listening to the expert whose brain is 20 times better than any AI program you can come up with. All right. The conception model, which you've just described and of which you are rightly uh, critical. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. 
Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This is the uh, this is the 67 war, the 73 war, or this is now? It was the 73 war where they were guilty of it, and then they did away with it. When I was in Israel working with Israeli intelligence, they had created this this body called the Doubting Thomas. It was a colonel and he had a staff, but his job was to be critical of every analysis that went up the chain of command. Before it could get to the head of intelligence, to the prime minister, it had to go through him. And he challenged right. every single assertion, right. every are, single assertion. Are, are, are you of the view that uh, Israeli intel said something's coming, but politics, culture, history, whatever you want to call it, rejected that intel or are you of the view that they were asleep at the switch and didn't even look at their intel or are you of the view that they looked the other way because they wanted an excuse to invade gaza well first of all i don't accept they looked the other way they wanted an excuse to invade gaza i know that's a popular conspiracy out there let me just say this i worked at very close level with israeli uh, soldiers with israeli professionals and they would never sacrifice their soldiers or their citizens in this manner. But anybody who comes up with that has no clue who Israel is, what Israelis are. That's just not something they would be willing to do. Not with the history they have. What happened this time? Did they ignore actionable intelligence or did they not acquire actionable intelligence? No, I believe they acquired a whole bunch of actionable intelligence. I believe that their dependence upon uh, artificial intelligence to do threat modeling uh, was corrupted by the conception that Hamas would never do this. And I believe that the leadership had bought into the notion that their policies of pacifying Hamas through economic incentives were working, and therefore they weren't going to allow anything to disrupt that. So they ignored the information they were being told about the possibility of an imminent attack. Here's uh, President Biden yesterday saying what, of course, you'd expect him to say and what politically he had to say. We now know that American citizens are among those being held by Hamas. I've directed my team to share intelligence and deploy additional experts from across the United States government to consult with and advise Israeli counterparts on hostage recovery recovery efforts. Are there um, American um, special forces or Navy SEALs on the ground in Israel, in Egypt, in Gaza, wherever they might be, ready to pounce? No. First of all, Israel doesn't need them, and Israel doesn't want them. Gaza is an Israeli problem. If they go into Gaza, they have Sariat Matkal, they have Flotilla 13, they have Yaman, they have a whole bunch of units that specialize in this, doing it the Israeli way, on Israeli soil, in defense of Israeli citizens. The last thing you want is Delta Force or SEAL Team 6. Not the dog, Scott. Not the dog. That is um, somebody calling me on Skype, and I invite you to call me. And, uh, okay. I don't know why they call me, but there it is. Okay. But anyways, so, the, yeah, I, no. This is purely a political move by the president. 
because he's going to be criticized. First of all, let's be let's be very clear here. Um, the the United States has a relationship with Israel where American Jews um, can go and serve in the Israeli army. And so there's a whole bunch of Americans. Excuse my language, but the the uh, the Americans are over there now. They're in the Israeli military. There's lots of Americans there. Um, you know, and and so Biden, you know, is under pressure, political pressure, because Americans killed, Americans taken hostage. He has to be seen as doing something. This is meaningless, empty talk. Uh, we're offering help that Israel doesn't want or need. Look, Israel's already trained with our guys. They know our techniques. They have our. Uh, they 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 they've taken what they already need. They don't need to introduce an American component to this already complex problem. Here's uh, President Putin giving what I think is one of the best uh, analyses of the uh, dynamics of the politics in the Middle East and the atrocious decision-making by uh, American uh, diplomats in the past 40 or 50 years. Unfortunately, we can see a sharp deterioration of the situation in the Middle East. I think that many will agree with me that this is a clear example of the failure of the policy of the United States in the Middle East, which tried to monopolize the resolution of the conflict, but unfortunately wasn't concerned with finding compromises acceptable to both sides. On the contrary, it promoted its own ideas about how this should be done, put pressure on both sides, first on one side, then on the other, every time without taking into account the fundamental interests of the Palestinian people, bearing in mind, first of all, the need to implement the UN Security Council decision on creation of an independent, sovereign Palestinian state. Your thoughts? Look, I've, I've said this from... Um, I just don't know what to do with these people who keep calling me. But um, <laughs> um, he, he's the only adult in the room. And uh, he's, you know, his uh, his maturity as a leader, um, the 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 balance that he shows as a diplomat, um, you know, comes through. Uh, if we had an American president that articulated what he just articulated, there wouldn't have been this tragedy in the Middle East today. That problem would have been solved. But we don't know how to be balanced. Uh, we go in and as, every word he said there was 100 percent true. And I know I'm going to be called a Putin fanboy and all this stuff. But you know what? When the guy's right, the guy's right. And, you know, he's right. How um, oppressive is Gaza? Our uh, friend and colleague, uh, Gerald Salenti, uh, referred to it as an open-air concentration camp. That's the appropriate way to put it. A lot of people are calling it an open-air prison. The problem with that in comparison, that implies that the Palestinian civilians who live there, over 2 million, are prisoners. They committed a crime. They've committed no crime. The only crime they're guilty of is being born born in a refugee camp, born as a concentration camp inmate. Um, and it is an open-air concentration camp. Israel controls this. Israel has put a wall around it. Israel dictates the quality of life, uh, the pace of life, every aspect of what goes on in Gaza. It denies them the right to have their own airport, denies them they have the right to their own ports. Um, you know, So, yeah, it is an open-air concentration camp. And the important thing about that word is that it's the Israelis, a Jewish nation, that's imposing concentration-like, camp-like reality on these poor Palestinian people. The Israelis should know better. They suffered under concentration camps. They know what concentration camps are. Why they're continuing to do this, I don't understand. 
your uh, views on uh, the tenure of Benjamin Netanyahu uh, as prime minister. I've hated Benjamin Netanyahu from day one. Uh, my, my initial dislike of this man came in 1982 when a Marine Corps captain stepped up on a Israeli tank and told him that it could not go across the Marine lines over his dead body. He pulled a pistol and told the Lieutenant Colonel he'd blow his brains out. The Israelis backed off. We called, charged the affairs at the embassy to, uh, to condemn the Israeli actions. That was Benjamin Netanyahu. His response to go around and create rumors about this captain saying he was drunk, there was alcohol on his breath. Benjamin Netanyahu is a disgrace. He's a coward. He's been that way ever since. He was prime minister in 19, from 1996 to 1999. I was there for two years of his prime ministership. He knows what the truth of Iraqi weapons destruction, destruction is because I worked with the head of his intelligence and they agreed with me. And yet in 2002, he went before the United States Congress as a private citizen, but with the cachet of being a prime minister saying, there is no doubt that Iraq has a nuclear weapons program. He lied. Americans then went into Iraq and died. Benjamin Netanyahu has the blood of thousands of Americans and hundreds of thousands of Iraqis on his hands. And now he's the war criminal prime minister of Israel. He's responsible for all this violence. He's the man who empowered Hamas to take over in Gaza in 2006. He did it. He's the one. So let's just remember who the ultimate criminal is in all of this. And his name is Benjamin Netanyahu. Will the Israeli people throw him out of office? No, because his, his shtick has been security from day one. Look, I, I can't say I personally knew Yitzhak Rabin, but I was there with Yitzhak Rabin. I worked with his government, and he was a man seeking peace. I was there the day he died, that he was assassinated. I watched Israel bury a leader they loved. and He was killed because of Benjamin Netanyahu, Benjamin Netanyahu's hatred, a man who empowered the religious right in Israel to issue a death warrant against Yitzhak Rabin, so some right-wing fanatic assassinated him at a peace rally. Uh, when, ben, when Yitzhak Rabin went into the ground, that was the end of the hope for peace for Israel. From that moment, Benjamin Netanyahu played the fear card, the fear card, the fear card, and he has intimidated the Israeli population based upon ignorance and fear to continue to empower him to be their leader. How do you see this uh, ending? I mean, the, uh, unless this becomes... Uh, a two or three front war. Um, Hamas is a pipsqueak compared to the military uh, power of uh, the Israeli government. No? Well, no. Look, in, in, in 2006, uh, Israel mobilized 30,000 troops to go up against 3,000 Hezbollah fighters in southern Lebanon. 34 days later, got beat, had to admit they got beat. They got crushed. Hezbollah stood, fought, and defeated them. Hamas, there are you know many thousands of Hamas fighters, highly trained, they're underground. Um, all they have to do to win is survive. Israel will eventually lose the support of the international community based upon the, the, the slaughter of the innocent Palestinians. At some point, the uh, international community is going to get fed up with seeing dead Palestinian babies. And they're going to say, enough is enough. And when that happens, Israel will have to take a compromise solution with Hamas. Hamas wins. Hamas is going to win this war. Not, they're not going to win by defeating Israel. They'll win simply by surviving. We we lost the last two or three sentences of what you said because of the uh, interference. Can you say it again about Hamas is going to win this war? Hamas is going to win by not being beaten. All they have to do to win is survive, just like Hezbollah did in 2006. 
Israel cannot defeat Hamas. If you think Israel is going to go in to Gaza and carry out urban warfare on a scope and scale that's just mind-boggling, you know nothing about the Battle of Stalingrad. You know nothing about the Battle for Monte Cassino in 1944. You know nothing about Mariupol or Bakhmut. Israel can't do this. They don't have the forces to do this. And eventually the world is get, get tired of dead Palestinian children, and the Israeli people are going to get tired of dead Israeli soldiers. Scott Ritter, you're uh, on the top of your game. What can I say? Thank you very much uh, for this uh, extraordinary uh, analysis. We'll come back to you soon, my dear friend. Thank you. Oof, Morris, we get it. Uh, thank you for watching. Uh, we're going to change topics in 25 minutes at 4.30 and go to the problems with the Republicans in the House of uh, Representatives. We'll continue to cover Israel. We'll continue to cover Ukraine. We'll continue to do what we do here at Judging Freedom, looking out for your liberty.